0: You guys are gonna love this episode. I interviewed Dr. Josh White, co-founder of the Community Health Initiative in the country of Haiti, along with Dr. Chris Burish. Dr. White founded this healthcare initiative to provide high-quality healthcare to the people of Haiti um, through this nonprofit organization. He is such a good guy, dude. And he's an interesting person, too. He's an adventure athlete. He's a, uh runs a little 10-acre permaculture farm in Vermont. He's a father. He's a husband. Not only that, though, he's a fellow Luther College graduate and a native of Decorah, Iowa. So I've known Josh my whole life. He's an incredibly interesting and dynamic person. And there are some people that sort of see and complain about the way things are, and there's others that actually look to actually change it and do something about it. Well, Josh is one of those people that actually get things done. So we had a really engaging discussions about the challenges of founding a nonprofit, uh making sure that it's successful in the long term, making sure that you're working well with the people of Haiti in terms of how you provide those services. And it's a really good discussion. I think so so for those of you who have interest in healthcare, um nonprofit administration, um, cross-cultural exchange—we sort of cover all of those topics. And Dr. White also shares shares some of his book recommendations that you can find at uh, rockycole.com in the show notes, as well as a link to the community health initiatives. So I hope some of you will be able to donate that. That will also be in the show notes at rockycole.com. And it's just a really engaging discussion with, with Dr. Josh White. So I hope you have as much fun listening to the episode as Dr. White and I had putting it together at 7 30 this morning on this beautiful spring day. So carpe diem friends, enjoy this episode of Dr. Josh White. Josh White, how are you?
1: Good. Uh, A a little tired. I just finished a night shift, uh, uh, but uh, um, have uh, the rest of today and tomorrow off. So looking forward to that
0: friends of the Rocky cast, you are going to be really pumped uh, for this particular interview of Josh White. Josh White does so many different things really, really well. It's sort of like, where do you begin to start? I think of how do you classify Josh White? He's sort of an adventure athlete. He's a rebel. He's an MD. He has a lot of good, interesting, provocative political commentary. Um, He's a dad. He's a husband. Where do you begin to start with Josh White? But why we're bringing him on this particular show is he also has this incredibly interesting story of a medical initiative in Haiti, Unity Point Medical Mission in Haiti, and I thought, wow, what an opportunity to bring on Josh White. Um, as previous listeners of the Rocky Cast have known, we've sort of had this surprising interest in Haiti. Um, we did Toussaint Louverture uh, with Lee Simon, leaving Lee Simon. He did an a, a incredible play series on Toussaint Louverture. We learned all about the Haitian Revolution. Um, and, and that particular part of the also the American story, the impact on the United States. We did a show with Corey Graham, who did a year in mission work, and we sort of described the sights, sounds and fields of Haiti. And that got me thinking, wow, my friend Josh White was not only all of those things, but he's originally from Decora Iowa. And I thought, wow, I'm gonna call Josh and Josh has been gracious enough to join the Rock Me cast after a full shift. <laughs> so, if he looks a little tired, which I do too, I just got up. It's because he's doing the rockney cast after a full night of work. So, I'm so grateful that you're on today, Josh. It's so good to see you. You know, those of us who grew up in Decorah, Iowa, you know, once a Decoran, always a corn It's sort of like yeah. we're patched in. We've got to do a reality TV show sometime on <laughs> people from Decorah. You know, it's going to be sort of like. Um, you know, um, sons of anarchy. It's going to be sons of decora. You know, we like rumagroot. We like, you know, we, we like to throw stones. Um, but here he is, Josh White. So, I've just had a long windup. Josh White. Who is Josh White? And then we'll get into your experience in Haiti. Who is the Josh White?
1: Uh, who am I? Um, so, yeah, I guess as you mentioned, I had a lot of interests. Um, uh, well, went to Luther um, uh, after uh, uh, high school. Um, after that, went to med school at the University of Iowa, graduated from there in 2001, uh, did a residency in emergency medicine at uh, Bay State in Western Massachusetts, finished there in 2004, um, went back to Minnesota after that uh, for six years, uh, and, uh, uh while in Minnesota, um, married, a, a girl I'd met in, uh, Western Mass, Kim, um, and, uh, so we've been together for 17 years now, um, uh, after, uh, uh Minnesota came back out east, but I didn't want to be in Massachusetts, and so, uh, Kim and I, uh, started up a little farm in, uh, central Vermont, And uh, um, so we're uh, running a small flock of sheep and a bunch of chickens and a bunch of dogs and um, on a mountainside and enjoying that quite a bit. Um, We got two kids, uh, um, a 10 year old boy and a, a 13 year old girl. Um, I've been following your, uh, uh, exploits in your podcast and a lot of your interests, uh, um, track right along with a lot of what we're doing. Uh, my daughter's diabetic and our, our food journey, uh, has been somewhat similar to yours.
0: I, you know, we could almost do, you know, it's sort of funny because when I, when I started to do the podcast, the thing that you're supposed to do in a podcast is you're supposed to specialize. So you're, <laughs> so you're supposed to only do one topic. And then you're supposed to like only do that. So you could only do it on fasting or you could only do it on protein or you could only do it on keto or whatever. And I thought, well, hell with that. I don't like, I'm a guy who through rebels against most rules and I, I don't wanna do that. It's just too much. And I, I don't know what I'm gonna be interested in. And I wanted to keep the ability to interview on Haiti or food or whatever. Um, but I, I would say that I, I would love to do a po- more podcast with Josh White as a trained medical doctor um on this on these sort of you know rebel doctors in terms of challenging the conventional view of diet and nutrition calories in calories out um with the conventional view and as many of you know i've lost a whole bunch of weight i've done intermittent fasting there's there's these dialogues between the convention with you know the you know hormonal theory of obesity insulin theory of obesity versus so stay tuned guys if you like this particular rocky cast you're going to love all these other ones, because I bet, I bet Josh would, would weigh in on some of those topics as an actual, oh, I'm, yeah. a ju- I'm a jurist doctorate, so I have no <laughs> medical, I'm a day I have no medical training whatsoever, whatever I say related to medical treatment or diet, ignore it all, I'm just always sharing my experience, but we'll, we'll do that, um, but, the, but, you, but there's a lot of different topics, you, you also know Ben, um, Permaculture Ben, what's his name? Yep, ben, Falk. ben Falk, yeah, no, so, You are doing, you know, anytime, Josh, you probably have a good mood because you always have a lot of, you know, positive things you're doing in your life. Think about how many people dream of starting their own sheep farmer. Like I drive (laughs) Mara crazy because I'm like, I want to be a goat farmer. So you actually are a sheep farmer. And I'm just, I'm so impressed with that. But it's not all those interesting things that we wanted to have you on for. You also have this incredible story. Of you and a colleague of yours, I understand at the University of Iowa, started a medical um, program nonprofit to serve the wonderful people of Haiti. Yep. I have not been to Haiti, but it is definitely on my bucket list. I know so many people, I mean, ranging from, I don't know, Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton loves Haiti. My brother in law, I, I saw
1: Bill Clinton in
0: Haiti oh. after the earthquake. He, he absolutely loves it. And, and I just think of its culture, its people. It's such a fascinating place. And one of the things I tried to emphasize in my Tucson, Tour episode, it's also one of the most important uh, nation states in the Western Hemisphere, by far, um, in terms of its impact on the United States. And I think that story is not told, but it also has a lot of challenges and needs. And oh, yeah. your organization has tried to fit one need, which is medical assistance. So if you could just give a little bit of the origin, first of all, what is the name of the initiative and how did it start um, with this colleague of yours at the University of Iowa? It's a very inspiring story.
1: Sure, so um, the the gentleman you're referring to, uh, Chris Burrish, he and I were um, effectively roommates in uh, medical school Um, And he went on and did a pediatrics residency at Wake Forest, and while there, um, did one trip to Haiti. Um, uh, Shortly after residency, uh, he called me because he was going back, um, so I believe this is about 2004, 2005, Um, uh, and they were looking for doctors and asked if I wanted to go. And, uh, um, I did the standard thing at that time and, and pulled up a map to figure out where, where exactly he was talking about, um, and, and agreed to do it. Um, uh, have done a lot of relatively adventurous things in my life. So this wasn't that far out of character. Um, and, uh, um, went down to Haiti, um, loved the experience um, it turns out my training in emergency medicine uh, works really, really well in in that environment. Um, you get you know uh, comfortable seeing whatever comes through the door, no matter what. Um, uh, anything from you know a laceration to a pneumonia to an advanced cancer. Training in trauma and infectious disease and tropical medicine. Um, uh, so it was a nice fit. Let's um, back up a little bit. I mean. Did you coordinate with an existing
0: organization? Did you just show up? Get, give me some sort of granular details in terms of like you both have a passion to serve. Did you yep. plug into an existing nonprofit? How, how did that actually start in terms of so, on the ground? So we had Haiti?
1: plugged into an existing nonprofit, um, and uh, um, and it started to become uh, kind of an annual or or twice a year thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it didn't take too many years before we started to become kind of dissatisfied yep. with, um, with what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, the, uh, um, the the intent of pretty much everything happening down there as far as aid is good. Um, but the implementation is, yep. is frequently very, very poor. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we were experiencing when we went down there Uh, is we would uh, uh, go out to a little village um, uh, and uh, uh, for lack of a better term sling pills Mm -hmm. Um, but there weren't really records that were being kept um, uh, and the medications we provided were whatever happened to be available or donated there was no consistency Um, and there was a coordinator down there and you're going to go to this little village because they haven't had a clinic in 10 years and and then the next time, well, you're going to go to this little village and you're, they haven't had a clinic in 10 years. And we, we started to realize that um, we probably weren't making a lot of impact, um, but there was a lot of expense. We didn't know we might be doing damage um, uh, uh, for people, starting them on the medication, getting their blood pressure under control for a few months, and then they have no means by which to refill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we struck out on our own and and formed an organization called the Community Health Initiative um initially we uh, um uh uh started to work as a subsidiary of other organizations um uh that didn't go real well um we found that a lot of organizations had a lot of dogma in terms of this is this is how we do this um uh, and and we wanted to do things um, our own way and um, a lot of the things we wanted to do were really, really difficult and, and relatively expensive yep. uh, and was hard on other organizations and their budgets. Mm-hmm. We got uh, um, rather significantly diverted with the 2010 earthquake um, and ended up running a field hospital down there for six months, um, which was quite an experience. Uh, and then I believe it was around 2012, uh, we got our own 501 C3. Um, uh, and along the ways I got an MBA, which informed a lot of, of what we were doing. Um, and, uh, um, the, you
0: got, so you got it, did you get an MBA just because, or did you get it because you felt that, um, it could help your planning administration, for this particular organization,
1: it wasn't originally intended for work in Haiti. It was an MBA in healthcare. I did it through Saint Thomas and in, uh, in Minneapolis and Saint mm-hmm. Paul, um, and uh, um, I, I had started to do some administrative work in uh, um, in uh, when I was doing my ER gig in Minnesota, okay. um, but uh, rapidly realized. Well, there's a standard process in in medicine where uh nurses and doctors and p a s and such um uh if you're if you're good and on the clinical side, you tend to get promoted into administrative roles with this assumption that you know if you know how to manage congestive heart failure then you must know how to manage uh, people and do h r and yes. schedule. Which is is, which is is not asheny. true. <laughs> it's if not, this
0: happens. Malcolm true. Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell has done an entire podcast on this, which is why do top salespeople end up being horrible managers of salespeople?
1: Yes. One would
0: think that the same qualities that would make you really good at one thing uh, would make you also really good at managing the thing. But it's like asking Michael Jordan to be a basketball coach. It turns out right. he'd probably be a horrible basketball coach. And he's not that good of owner. Like his eye for spotting, John Elway can't pick quarterbacks. So I'm, I'm sorry, I digress. But but yeah. So you, so that's a thing in medicine. I bet you would be good. I would bet you would be good at manager though.
1: So I bet well, you would. would so not suck. You would. I did, not a, would not I did an MBA. Well, I'm now the chief uh, medical officer here at my hospital. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm so done an important. OAA, I guess. Do um, you issue I, orders around to people? Do you, do you boss people around? uh yeah there are people that would make that claim yeah um <laughs> the uh from um, your decora right yeah but the uh, um but the mba um i actually ended up writing a whole thesis on the problem with uh aid uh delivery um and is that publicly
0: available josh could you share that on our show notes or is that something?
1: yeah i could email it that- to you Okay, that'd be
0: great. We'll, we'll include a link for people listening. We'll include a link on our show notes at rocknicole.com. And I, I think that would be, that'd be great.
1: Um, and it, I mean, it'll probably bore most people to tears, but the, the gist of the concept is that um, the, my theory was that the problem with delivery of aid in places like Haiti mm-hmm. um, is the disconnection uh, from uh, the capitalist cycle. Yeah, um, and so if you were to there in Iowa City, say, uh, start up a, a hot dog stand, mm-hmm. uh, and your success would be predicated on you know did you do good marketing and figure out you know where you needed to be and mm-hmm. people draw people there? Did you have good quality product with good hours and and, and good service and uh, and you make money and you stay in business? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, aid delivery uh, in places like Haiti or organizations by ours. Um, is completely divorced from outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could roll down into Haiti, uh, provide some form of medical care or even lie about it and provide no medical care whatsoever, come back, tell some stories, show you a lot of pretty pictures and I'm going to stay in business and make money. Um, uh, And it's a nonprofit. So the money goes back into whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But you don't have to do the things that normally keep a business afloat. Um, when you're providing aid. Mm-hmm. A lot of those things are hard, um, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to medical care. Yes. Um, and and a lot of these things are administered by people that don't normally manage medical practices, churches and the like. Yes. Um, and so these things don't get done. Um, and people tend to focus on a lot of um, measures, false return on investments and such. Um, like the classic one is, you know, a, a team will go down there and they'll come back and they'll say, we saw a thousand patients. Yes. And everybody pats themselves on the back. Um, and, but when you go to your doctor, you don't want to see 10,000 seen. Um, yeah. You want your knee to stop hurting. You want your cough to go away. It's not yeah. a measure it's quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody falls into that trap from, uh, uh, yeah. from churches all the way to the U.S. government. Um, if you look at the, uh, um, uh, the reports on the earthquake response um, uh, from the U.S. government, it talks about yeah. how many patients they saw. Yeah. So, um, so that thinking um, uh, informed uh, a great deal of what we did. Um, so that we wanted to develop a medical record system so that when we saw a Haitian patient um, we came back and saw that same guy or that same woman again. We knew what we had done. We knew what medications they were on. You could we'd track progress. To, yeah. We'd be able to decide, did that work? Did that not work? Yep. Um, refill those medications um, and adjust um, to actually try to produce some measure of health in uh, chronic conditions. Oh, this
0: um, is great. And let, and let me jump in here because I want to I, I think that there is something called the TED Talk phenomena, which I remember 10 years ago, I just sort of just, oh, I love, and I still love TED Talks because TED Talks serve a role, which is how do you make um, people that are doing interesting things, how do you spread the message in such a way that is very intriguing, engaging, and will get people interested in moving forward? That's the good part about TED Talks. The bad part about it is, is that it makes everything look like, and I think this is especially something for 20 and 30 somethings, that we're just a 20 minute Ted talk away from solving incredibly complicated issues, right? You know, and you can almost think of like in the medical care, I always like to to joke about sort of makeup Ted talks, like what if, like you're in the farm space, what if we brought organic food to the medical industry and had healthy nutritious food for our (laughs) medical patients? why do we have sugary drinks in the hospital setting when we could be feeding them goat keeper and they would solve their health issues like okay that's yeah that sounds really cool and the audience is like yeah that's really cool but that is extremely complicated you yes. know, the hospital may be administering a federal grant and there may be you know industry contracts and they also have to make sure that they have standard of care so they don't get sued and, you know, what if you tried to, what if you tried a keto diet for all your hospital patients and all of a sudden someone got, you know, salt deficiency or something like, I mean, it's super complicated and you got to have a model. There's a, there's a entre that I like that he based, Guy Kawasaki, um, he did a lot of Entra stuff in the West Coast and he said, if you don't have a prototype, basically go to hell because you can do a PowerPoint to the cows come home, but it's not worth anything. And the other thing is, is I should have been a philosophy major. What makes me think with the nonprofits, I think this is a frustration of, of Corey's, my brother in law. Have you ever heard of deontology? Deontology? Like if you say, oh
1: yeah,
0: deontology, like as you swirl your um, your cognac. Um, but this notion of it's our intent that matters. And I think so many of our nonprofits are like, I'm doing something, I have good intentions. And oh, so how many. I'm going to get a nurse and I'm going to go to Haiti and we're all going to go there and, you know, have our, you know, have our bellies out and, and our, our, our margarita and we're doing something. And that, that to me, in terms of all the problems we have in this country, intent is not enough. It has to be outcome. So it sounds like your organization was, yeah, we want people to be inspired. We want to give the Ted talks. We want to make sure that there's a reality connected to what we're doing and that it's not just this Potemkin village to make ourselves feel good am I am I getting that right it seems like you guys are like no we want to we want to basically be there over time and provide high quality health care for these people rather than just photo ops
1: yeah that was the idea with the with the long-term trajectory being um, transition to a, a Haitian run system that we mm-hmm. support um, because the you know, uh, a, a bunch of folks from the U.S. running down there, you know, even every couple of months um, is inherently non-sustainable. And, uh, um, you know, what happens in the meantime, you know, if yeah. someone gets sick when you're not there. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, actually a lot of events recently, both politically down there and, and COVID forced the organization uh, into Model fast now in terms of making that transition, uh, but it's a necessary thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I'd imagine now with COVID, um, the other issue would be is that you are able to get um, more Zoom, right? Are are you going to more of a telemedicine model um, so you can basically act? Because you think uh, the other thing that you and I really like is called permaculture, and one concept I like yep. from permaculture is. It's a stunningly obvious concept, which if you're talking about changing your life, look at concentric circles out from you as an individual. So what do you have greatest impact? You. After you get to you, you get your household. After you get to your household, you get to your front yard and you plant food there. After you get to that, you get to your block, your neighborhood, your city, your state. Your But you guys are actually you know, Haiti, and you're right, it's, it's not sustainable, uh, over time for you to go down to Haiti, which is a plane ride and all those sorts of things. So how, as the organization grows, are you able to get some of the infrastructure? Have you been able to get some permanent, and then of course, permanent staffing, which is extraordinarily expensive. So how are these growing pains? Like, is the organization still, you got some full-time staff or what, what's sort of the status of it right now? Yeah, um, they're, the uh, running all
1: they're running all haitian led clinics um, the um, so i'm I, I no longer sit on the board there is a, a scheduled exodus uh, um with concept being that you we didn't want uh, the same individual yes. managing long term and um, the uh, um, particularly now that the timing was good trying to run a hospital during covid is not what i would call fun Um, But,
0: uh, um, as they say in the South, Josh, bless your heart for all the work you've been doing. (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you, it had to have been incredibly stressful. So, um, you know, our medical heroes and Josh is one of them. You're also, you're, you're still doing medicine too. I mean, you're not just the administration or I I pulled a night shift last night. Okay. So you're still, you're doing the best of both roles. You're a practitioner and you're a manager. That's awesome. But so, yeah, so it has been difficult during COVID and, and, and how has that impacted everything?
1: Um, it, actually my friends down in Haiti, uh, tell me that, uh, COVID was not a significant problem down there. Hmm. Um, I, I have a number of theories on that, but I don't know for sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, um, uh, one of the biggest challenges, um, is, uh, it's hard to get back and forth. There were mm-hmm. things like quarantines. You couldn't just go to Haiti. The Haitian government yeah. was trying to protect its, its population. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, um, there's been a. A significant amount of political unrest, which really has been a bigger problem. Um, And that's been the case for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, um, I think it's quite a bit more dangerous uh, um, at the moment than it has been uh, for a bit. Um, the uh, um, it's always hard to tell and and when you're looking at things like news organizations and state department warnings um, they're almost universally overstated and have different motivations than what seems to be expressed but uh, um, but I have friends down there right now that are telling me literally don't come Um, it's not safe Um, which I've never heard them do before Um, you
0: know it's sort of funny when when Corey started going down there he actually brought his family down there and one of the hardest things to do as people i think probably like you and i is to sort of think about what perceptions or what's being commuted out communicated out to their public writ large is actually true and which part is just sort of a construction and i remember when he went down there I was like, uh, and what is the security of your person? Um, you know, And I think a lot of times people say, well, it's just as safe as some of our big cities or these sorts of things. But he went down there and I, for the people that had been down there, my sense was, yeah, there were, there were some issues, but people generally felt relatively safe in terms of security on their person. But that seems like that is not the case as verified by people in Haiti, as well as people like you probably know that still, still go there quite frequently.
1: Yeah. And then there's also the reality that, you know, it's this whole country. So, you know, I know people in a certain region and uh, uh, mostly that uh, may not be the case, you know, in different parts of Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, um, there's a, there's an old saying in Haiti um, that might be true, um, which pretty much applies to every everything I say.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say it sounds like, uh, you know, Greek philosopher right there. One of the things I also learned, and I want to do a deeper dive on this, maybe for another podcast, is I also learned that Toussaint Louverture was a Stoic. So, uh, you know, I think that's pretty cool. Um, and so the organization as of right now, um, are, are you're not on the boarding. And by the way, I think that's a really good idea not to be on the board because the other thing that Corey ran into was you get a savior complex or it's a My Train Set concept. As a founder of an organization, and so what he ran into as the founder. It was her, it was her pet project. Her ego was attached to it, and it was hers. And so, any different perception, and I think to me, especially when you're doing aid work, is the exact wrong philosophy. Which is, I have a skill set, and I want to share that skill set, but I also realize that it might be true. I, I may be wrong, and other people, especially on the ground in terms of Haiti, are going to have their own wisdom. And how they can be adequately served and so it sounds like right from the get-go you guys sort of bake that into the dna of the organization is that you wanted to get yourself out of a job right i mean you wanted to make sure that your skills were not only being used but transferred um to the people of hades that they would be able to you know leverage their own skills and talents to serve their fellow residents
1: sure sure and it's also like the, one of the, one of the requirements down there is just an incredible tolerance for failure is mm-hmm. a large amount of this stuff that you try. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it takes an incredible amount of time to get stuff done here, down there that would, would happen quickly here. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, so it's, it's really, really stressful. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, lots of board meetings with, you know, all sorts of, you know, people would be crying, or people would be fighting. And these are people that generally love each other to a great deal. And, you know, I had a a conflict with people at times. And uh, um, it's good to bring fresh people in there that are energized. And, uh, um, you know, it was, it was time for me to step back. And, uh, um, you know, things, have happened now, like I said, uh, um, kind of forced, um, but that was the original intent um, where we've got all Haitian run clinics. Yeah. Well, the other nice thing too, that um, I- um, and that wasn't really happening.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that we're probably going to see is post COVID, I mean, I think we've just sort of found that we don't need to be personally present to do a lot of this stuff. I mean, you can probably take a history. And as long, and I'm sure internet might be an issue, but I think now with like, you know, once they do more satellite internet, I, I think even in the most remote regions, you can take a history, you can look at, you can observe, you can observe, you can share, you can share files, and I'm sure there's an issue with the infrastructure, but I, I think any any organization worth its salt is going to be able to get that high tech there, so that you can you you can leverage your skills, because I think to your point, um, I was a politician for four years. And what really got me out of it was this very nasty, nasty thing called the meeting. And meetings can be totally soul-sucking. <laughs> if they're not run well, if they're too long, um, they destroy a lot of organizations. And yet people nope. have no self-awareness as to how destructive they are. And, and my rule is I would view a city council. If the meeting's longer than an hour, it's a horrible meeting. You know, and especially where it's one thing if we're sitting in the olive grove, Josh, and we're and we're engaging and we're we're having a glass of wine and we're thinking, I'm not sure whether I know the truth, let me know your perspective. But if the point of said meeting is to basically engage in polemics yeah. where no one is really seeking to understand, like to quote Stephen Covey, to seek first then to be understood. What seek first to understand before you are understood. It really can cause a lot, of, and then people lose sight of what the goal is: is to, is to sort of, you know, serve the people of Haiti, and that's what the mission is. It's not about ego; it's about service. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think the fact that you guys were able to pull it off, and it's still in existence, though. So, so for people Correct. listening on this, um, on this podcast, if they want to make a donation, um, I know at some point uh, my fellow former, well, he's still a current politician, Rod Sullivan, went down with you. Yes, Rod's still- a great guy are you guys still doing yearly trips for people that want to go and serve? And, and two, if people want to make a donation or otherwise get involved, uh, h- how do they go about doing that? We'll, and we'll, and friends of the Rocking Cast, we'll put this in the show notes at rockingcoal.com and um, provide this information.
1: So h- how do people get involved? So trips are sparse right now, secondary to the, the political situation I was referring to. Yep. Um, uh, but they do happen every now and then. Um, uh, the funds are, are much, much needed because what's happening right now is the organization is supporting Haitian doctors and Haitian nurses, um, that are utilizing the infrastructure we set up, um, uh, to practice medicine down there. And, uh, um, you know, and, um, giving them one, one of the problems with, the uh, um, a lot of the the medical education and and the uh, and folks practicing medicine in places like Haiti is um if if you have no understanding of the culture um you can't do it well yeah. um and so throw a lot of uh, uh docs and nurses down there or in in uh, as is often the case you get you know a medical school up in the United States and we're going to train Uh, because there is a medical school down in Haiti. We're going to give them a lecture on, you know, what have you. Um, uh, Often there's a lot of nuance in the cultural difference that makes uh, your approach uh, uh, or your approach should be quite a bit different. And if it's not, you're getting it wrong. Um, And do
0: you do for people that go down there for the medical doctor? uh, One of the things that um, Corey talked about was there's a certain amount of the population that's Catholic. There's a certain amount that's Protestant there's a certain amount to believe in other or don't believe. And then he said, there's a hundred percent voodoo that, that it really permeates yeah. the culture um, and not this caricature, but just in an everyday way, how much cultural competency training and or linguistic training do you do for the residents? I think that's probably, do, do you speak um, French by the
1: way, or, or is it Creole? Is that, is that my, how? My Creole is embarrassingly poor. Um, right. I can understand generally what a patient is trying to tell me, um, but I, I re- still require a, uh, an interpreter. And do you Um, do cultural competency
0: training? Have you read up on the history of Haiti? Um, What what sort of cultural competency training you do so you can adequately serve and work with the Haitian residents?
1: When a a provider, a a doc or a PA or an NP comes down with us or a nurse, um, they get, I haven't looked at it recently, I'm not sure how it is now, but a a 90 page uh, uh, primer on this is what you need to know about medicine in Haiti um uh, these are our protocols this is why we do what we do these are things you need to pay attention to that wouldn't make any sense in the united states um and uh, um so they, they get that in advance um and when a team goes down there's a, a, a basically a half day long meeting where we walk through all of that and then the teams are designed such that um, all of the providers would be um, practicing in, in basically a communal area um, where uh, newer providers to Haiti um, are, you know, oftentimes literally six feet away from somebody that's been going there for years that can answer questions uh, and, and provide oh. input in terms of what's going on.
0: And in terms of where it's located, do you try to rotate throughout the country or is there a particular region? Um, where you serve the people of Haiti. Josh? I
1: think we have some technical difficulties. There you are.
0: Yeah, okay. So we had some technical difficulties on the Rocky Cards. We'll get that uh and you know what one, one of the things too is that one of the nice things too for people that are going through the midlife crisis and don't want to do anything um anyone can do a podcast and it's sort of funny a lot of the really good ones that i like have these technical difficulties too so and they don't edit them out so i may or may not edit them <laughs> um you know it makes it i look at i this look at my studio this is the uh this is my my patio um but yeah, so you were talking about where in Haiti you were, um, you were located. So I, mean, I just want to make sure that yeah. we are recording. Okay.
1: Yeah. So uh, um, that was, uh, uh, we wanted to focus on a, a population where we could uh, have a defined uh, group of people where we could measure progress and uh, try to produce a measurable impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go to the same villages um, uh, time and time again um the uh it is um around the area of akaye which is about an hour's drive it's on the uh coast of the the northern peninsula um you leave uh, uh port-au-prince and, and drive up along the coast um and then uh, um uh, there's two main clinic sites um uh one of them is about oh i don't know a uh, 15, 20-minute uh, ride from Akae just into the, um, uh, the banana fields and, uh, and such um, on the lowlands. And then another one is uh, um, uh, uh, about a five-mile hike up into the mountains um, uh, that's a really, uh, really remote. Um, and, uh, and so, you so get... is this 365
0: day a year care, or is this now where you come periodically or, or, you know, the periodically opener, how, how does that actually work?
1: So the structure we set up, um, is that there are medical clinics that occur on a, a periodic basis, uh, about five times a year. Um, one surgical clinic augmenting them. So the medical teams would identify, you know, this gentleman needs, a. um, is hernia fixed, or this woman needs a hysterectomy because of bleeding fibroids or or Mm. whatever. Um, And then uh, um, we trained uh, community health workers. Um, So there would be individuals in the villages that have basic medical knowledge um, uh, and protocols that they work under, Um, you know, working with people in terms of this is, you know, a blood pressure that's a problem, you need to come to the next clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, here are the things we do when we are at a delivery, um, and someone's having a baby. There's a, there's a lot of incredibly cheap and basic interventions from a a public health perspective that have a massive impact. Um, and they're not very exciting. Um, you know, so like you you send somebody to a delivery, you know, and they get a little packet with like a clean razor blade blade to cut the cord. As opposed to the rusty rusty kitchen knife, so the kid doesn't get tetanus. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, totally. And uh, um, you know, uh, you know, a little hat and a blanket so you can dry off the kid immediately and swaddle them. Um, uh, you know, and they don't die from hypothermia. You know, and to to that, how about obesity? Is obesity an issue in Haiti? I know,
0: like you know, um, I was telling before we started the show that I, I'm into basically all these different health fads, right? And I think the issue with health ads is. You know, what parts are total bullshit and what, what ones aren't. Um, but for me, for fasting, uh, basically just skipping breakfast, sixteen eight is what I do. Um, I've lost 50 pounds. I've reduced, I've reversed type 2 diabetes.
1: The uh, pre-
0: blood pressure is totally normal. Um, so at least N of 1 for me, um, it has been incredibly effective. And what's the nice thing about fasting? It does not cost anything. Um, it's free. Um, you can do it whenever you want. In fact, you save money and for me, it's gotten me into this whole world of all this health and fitness just from that one decision to skip breakfast and so what I'm curious, those are the sorts of simple interventions but, uh, so it's gotten me into the food thing. And one of the things in all these food debates is people go back into sort of ancestral diets versus Western diets, and obesity seems to follow Western intervention in terms of industrial food. Um, so what what sorts of obesity and poverty and obesity don't necessarily, sometimes they can be actually directly correlated. The more poor you are, the more obese you are because you're getting lower quality, more highly processed food. What's the obesity situation down there and, and how uh, that you observe and how is that impacting their health? Or or are they um, not, not suffering from obesity? Um, there's definitely
1: some. Um, uh, it's not, uh, um, not high volume. Um, it's a little bit of a different animal down there, um, as, uh, um, a lot, uh, particularly when you get out into the, um, you know, up into the mountains, um, these folks are living on, you know, maybe three bucks a day U S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there isn't much in the way of choice, uh, both in terms of what they're able to afford, but uh, also in terms of what's available, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know they have some basic things and and that's about it. Um, you know rice beans. um You know it's not unusual to uh, uh run into goiters up in the mountains because uh, they don't like fish and they don't have iodized salt. That's the only thing, and you have to have conversations about you know you should probably learn to like fish because mm-hmm. uh, that's how you're going to get your iodine. Um, the uh, um, yeah they they don't have a lot of choice. Um, the uh, um, and, and a lot of the industrialized food products um, aren't too much a thing uh, there. There's a little bit of it. Um, uh, definitely, you see like snack foods and such in the in the cities, um, uh, but it's it's not a lot.
0: I'm curious. The other interesting part about all these sort of you know food fads and all this stuff, that, you know, there's all these you know ancestral living. Is sort of recovering this lost knowledge um have there been any folk remedies that have been conveyed to you that maybe you sort of dismissed initially and then thought well maybe there's something there um have you have there been any medical things that maybe you learned that you didn't necessarily think were true or or maybe it's been a situation where you sort of had to say well that's nice and there may be some you know uh placebo effect but i'm not going to necessarily try it uh
1: there have definitely been things i mean a lot of the um and, and some of it works although a lot of it wouldn't really be tolerated by uh, uh folks here in the u.s um uh, one of the most interesting things i saw um i was intending a, a delivery mm-hmm. um and uh, uh so this woman had uh, just finished uh delivering her baby mm-hmm. um uh and uh, she is uh um uh on the on the bed and is exhausted, uh, and uh, um, you know they're working on the kid and drying the kid mm-hmm. off, and and uh, um, everything is sort of quieted down. And uh, um, one of her uh, family members um, sneaks around behind the head of the bed, um, and uh, uh, with a wooden spoon, um, mm. and reaches behind her head and pops her jaw open and rams that spoon down into the back of her throat, and she gags so hard the placenta just pops right out um incredibly effective I've never seen anything like it in my life I don't think anybody in the U.S. would be okay with that
0: well well one (laughs) of the other interesting things Mara thinks I'm a little crazy but I love this Dr. Paul Saladino he's carnivore MD and he does really nose to tail nutrition but the people that are really into that you know who they study they study modern hunter gatherer tribes um to look at their dental health um their physical health I I, it's sort of sort of laugh out loud funny in the sense that we 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 think that we've advanced so far but I think in terms of overall mental health um some of the long-term chronic conditions um I do think we have something to learn from some of these traditional cultures now I don't necessarily think you know jamming the spoon down but I think that we wouldn't take that but there probably are you know you doctors you have been more effective than nurses for about the last. What? Well, I mean, we love nurses, by the way. I love nurses. What I'm saying is, didn't nurses prior to about 110 years ago, a lot of the women-led nurse clinics, um, and traditionally at that time they were women, but they're not anymore. So don't get all worked up, people. They were more. The docs had some issues because it was all theory, right? It was all dogma. It was about a hundred. Was it about a hundred years ago where medicine? Really started taking off in terms of you know increase in, in mortality and all the or, you know uh, reducing mortality and these sorts of things, um, and I think these traditional cultures do have do have something to tell us. Um, I know a lot of these people in the health space get into this. Weston Price, who was a dentist that looked at the dental health of a lot of these traditional cultures, um, but isn't that true that that medicine really took off about 110, 115 years ago in terms of efficacy? Hey,
1: you- Impact of medicine has been very, uh, stair steps. There've been like yeah. major advantage, advantage, advances, excuse me, that have had significant impact. Um, you know, like, uh, um, pasture and the discovery of vaccines and yeah. liquor and hygiene and, um, you know, antibiotics. Um, the, the more recent one, um, uh, sort of have it, its advent in the, uh, in the nineties evidence-based medicine. Yeah. Uh, which still is something that um, needs to be ingrained. Um, and, and there's a lot of things that happen in, in, in Western medicine that is, that is not, and is, is a problem. Um, the, uh, um, uh, one of the major problems with Western medicine right now is the, the fascination um, with the, um, all of the high tech uh, uh, medications and and tests uh, um, uh, with uh, um, questionable improvement in outcomes or outcomes that people don't necessarily want or desire. Um, uh, and uh, um, uh, ignoring the low tech stuff like you're talking about, like things like uh, nutrition and, and lifestyle, um, yeah, sleep.
0: I, I mean, you know, and, and so that's why I would love to do subsequent podcasts because for me, you know, I I think too often, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor, so I can't give medical advice, but the issue is, is that for us as consumers, you know, we could do subsequent podcasts on this. We have to make a decision about which approach we want to take. Do we want to adopt a functional medicine practitioner that more looks at nutrition, um, lifestyle interventions first, or do we want to go to a traditional doc and pop a pill? Like we have to make this decision, like, you know, in terms of what we do. And as I've, as I've dived deep into this, I I do think that these, that these doc, I want MDs as that baseline credential, but there are more and more MDs that are really challenging this industrial, you know, pill for everything approach, as opposed to the first approach should be sleep, light, um, nutrition, exercise, you know, kettlebells, lift heavy things. And for me, once I've adopted that, I felt a lot better and it's, and part of this is learning from traditional cultures like they have in Haiti, but there are these things that, that seem to work. And, um, you know, and I think in terms of, um, you know, hormetics, like, uh, you know, hormesis, you know, in this terms of voluntarily subjecting yourself to stress, um, certain amounts of stress can be very, very productive. So I'd love to hear as an actual trained physician, as you sort of sort through, because the ones I've liked have been conventionally trained and then I've said, gosh, you know, it's back to what you had said, is what I know really true, right? And to constantly question that, because I always love when conventional wisdom um, proves to be wrong, uh, as far as yeah. that goes. So I'm, I'm hoping we can do a ton of subsequent podcasts, because I'm sure that you have, uh, you want to probably get to sleep. And uh, what I wanted to know, though, is that with Haiti, do you have any book? or music recommendations that you know for people more interested in Haiti um, that you'd like to share um, that we can post on the show notes at rocknicole.com
1: um a a couple of books I think are worthwhile um uh one of them uh is uh you probably read it hot flat and crowded Thomas Friedman um yeah no I don't know if I have I probably should have it's, uh, um, it's an older book, um, uh, probably early 2000s. Um, uh, that it's had a couple of iterations now and it connects um, population, uh, uh, global warming, disease, consumerism, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and puts all of this together in a, in a, a way to think about um, our impact on uh, uh, the places we live um, mm-hmm. and that I think is worthwhile. Um, And then in in terms of uh, um, uh, actually uh, um, Haitian, the Haitian experience, um, as it relates to aid, there's a book called Travesty in Haiti. Um, I'm sorry, the the author is uh, escaping me right now. Um, But that is a, a discussion of the failures in aid that we were talking about, um, mm-hmm. going from, you know, large governmental interventions all the way down to, you know, little individuals or churches and, yeah. um, and, and why these things don't work when you just roll down there and do the thing you think is good. That makes um, you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, um, that's a highly worthwhile book. I'll say a little bit painful to read and, and you will finish angry. Um, <laughs> Yeah. but it is what it is <laughs> yeah um so uh uh my uh musical uh knowledge of haiti is a little bit pedestrian uh my favorite uh uh haitian artist is is wycliffe which is uh, oh,
0: wycliffe sean yeah, yeah Corey mentioned the, the, the
1: standard answer um huh. uh, i i very much enjoy the uh, uh the music when i'm down there mm-hmm. um uh although uh it have not uh, learned a great deal about who's who's who down there yeah well
0: and I'm sure that you know obviously you guys are down there to work but I remember there was this episode of uh, Doogie Hauser remember that remember that show Doogie Hauser where doogie there was like this surgeon who was cracking jokes and having fun and Doogie got all pissed off he's like oh you're not a doctor yeah blah 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 but he's like hey man this is stressful stuff and so like you have to be able to have fun and so when you guys go down there, I'm sure that you work super, super hard, but you also have some fun too. So are you oh, able yes. to take okay. some, you're able to take some side trips because you got to be able to recharge the batteries. Maybe before we go, just sort of share some of the fun things you, you guys do as a team to sort of build that teamwork, that camaraderie, maybe some fun trips that you take. Um, and maybe if you could just sort of describe the sights, the sounds of the smell of Haiti sure. as, as you, as you depart the airport.
1: Well, I think that gets it at a, a really important concept. Um, Haiti is a lot more than a place with a lot of need. Yeah. Um oh, yeah. And, totally. Um and, and and Haiti has a lot to teach uh uh folks like Americans. Mm-hmm. Um uh, um particularly uh when it comes to things like uh, um you know what it need what's needed to make you happy, mm-hmm. uh consumerism, things like that. Um the uh, um uh, a, a lot of the uh, um, contentious political discourse that's been going on in the U.S. Uh, um, uh, that phrase uh, "You didn't build that." Um, yeah. Uh, they uh, you see that in in real life down there. Um, mm-hmm. You know the uh, um, I've I've had interpreters that spoke five languages um, that are pretty comfortable or are a lot smarter than I am. Um, and, uh, uh, it doesn't matter, uh, how hard they work, um, they're scrapping for their next meal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, Warren Buffett, uh, um, uh, uh, put it well, uh, when he said, I won the ovarian lottery. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I feel that way about my own situation. Um, but you know, you'll go into these, these little villages and, uh, you do the medical clinics and, uh. Um, the uh, uh, the women and the children will be in their Sunday best because the doctors here and they've got you know Easter bonnet type things and dresses and they're so happy to see you and uh, um, uh, you know and and the team uh, will come back and it's a very connecting experience on these teams because um, you're in this place um uh, and you're learning these things together you know yeah, you know totally. what do you need truly to be happy yeah. um it, it's not the next iphone yeah. um you know cuz these people are you know you go into these villages and these kids are playing soccer and you know these grandmas are giving you hugs and um and there is a whole lot of joy in their lives um, uh, and, and you were able to
0: observe that like and i will be clear it's clinically how much and of course yours would just be anecdote i mean you're not going to submit it for peer review publication but just in terms of what you've been able to observe how much anxiety depression um did you need did you see in terms of patients um and and just clinically and then in terms of observing the culture itself what was your observation in terms of what people projected in terms of smiling it seems to be a very joyful culture but i obviously they have some challenges that that they're going through right now but i think in our culture we have a major issue with stress anxiety and depression and oh, yeah. and and we and we are horrible at self-care in this culture and it's it's a crisis and yet we're taught that we're the richest country in the world but rich as to what the accumulation of stuff um while we while while we're, we're, we're time starved while we're anxious while we're depressed while we're fat is this what we're supposed to get this this
1: is our yeah. glory yeah um, and it's hard to be you, healthy in that
0: yeah and what did you observe i mean uh, did you treat a lot of uh clinical you know because you would think that with the poverty that there would be the clinical depression or well, what did you observe in terms of mental health in haiti i'm sure there is obviously a lot of stress um, there's some
1: what, um the clinically i didn't see it a lot and i don't know it, it's entirely possible that i missed it okay um uh it's probably secondary to my um poor understanding of creole um, so my own um deficiencies um but you know walking around the villages uh and interacting with people um you don't see it a lot um Mm -hmm. uh, amongst other things um uh um the community um is such a thing uh that we don't experience have you have you ever read the book tribe uh i have a yes that's by sebastian younger right correct yeah. um uh that is a great way to appreciate that experience um that yeah. he refers to and that you can you can exist in a place like new york city here um mm-hmm. and be completely disconnected as far as any sort of community or really knowing anybody you can yeah. have your own apartment by yourself work in a cubicle um you know your quote-unquote friends on facebook are perfunctory interactions yeah. um and uh, um uh that's not a thing in haiti yeah Um, uh they uh you know these little households that have got you know uh um you know maybe as big as my office and have got four or five people living in there um uh, in these little villages and you know people are working in the fields together or the um uh, people are preparing dinner together or what have you um uh, it it really makes you reflect on i what am i what am i doing with my life What, what am i wants totally. and desires and is that really yes. what i mean
0: oh yes um, i i mean you know and, and you know one of the things in terms of this alternative health space i've i've sort of dived deep into the, the paleo space but but one of their thesis is it's sort of like well what are you calling a fad their, their view is is that human beings evolved under scarcity for 3.5 million years that's a which i think is a fa- is a fact And we evolved our neurological system, our digestive system, all of it is is evolved for, you know, surviving in that context of food scarcity, of moments of very, very intense stress. And here's a dog, as we walk away from, uh, you know, the line or to sprint or whatever, and long moments of tranquility where, you know, we're working together in these sorts of things. And that really makes sense to me. Um, and I think in terms of traditional cultures, this is the way people have lived forever. And the fad is not this stuff. It's, it's this recent stuff where this notion that we're not evolved to be in a cubicle with yeah. you know this industrial light and, and constant stress is horrible for us. And yet yes. that's what we're taught. That's how we're, we're not supposed to live this way. And I think there's so much we can learn from, you know, traditional cultures that, you know, and I'm sure you've connected with that in the mental health space. That's where I think like just to pop a pill and have that solve everything without addressing your diet, nutrition. And what do they say that when you have the, um, the friend hormone, is it oxycontin or something like that or, or whatever, where oxytocin, you're oxytocin where you're, you're, you're eating together and there's all these sort of good vibe drugs that you can get from your brain um through being together that's very healthy for you and your sleep and i'm sure they got those down and it's just passed down from generation to generation i do think i almost think they should do some i'm sure they have but like come to our culture and sort of teach us stuff too i mean in terms of like how to live like why do you guys live like this um once you get the food once you get the food and the shelter in terms of maslow's hierarchy and needs right um, food food shelter and security like those are the base things but beyond that you know i think time is something we very much undervalue that we are all time starved um yeah. in this culture in, in our in our in our pursuit for for commodities
1: i think our culture gave us all the things that we wanted yeah. um it's it's you know and you know getting into some of the stuff you were talking about uh in medicine, um, Um, we got the medical system that we uh, that we wanted. And and Mm -hmm. a lot of it was putting basing that on on capitalism, you know, Mm -hmm. this this stuff that you're talking about, you know, um, so you've addressed with your health and your, your, your uh, uh, change your diet and your exercise, you know, you're you're no longer got your type two diabetes. And maybe you got a primary care provider or a a PA that uh, badgers you about little details here and there. And you you stutter along until you're 90 and then trip and break your neck and die and nothing mm-hmm. happens. Um, mm-hmm. The medical system in that life, which everybody wants, makes nothing. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, if if you kind of get ignored and, and you maintain all that weight and you pick up, you know, a two pack a day habit and drink a 12 pack of deer, beer a day and, um, you know, then have a big heart attack and, you know, maybe you're back into Cora and they uh, put you on a helicopter and, fly you down to Iowa city and crack open your chest and replace a few vessels. And you spend a few weeks in the ICU and a few weeks in a skilled nursing facility. And now you're on super expensive drugs for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. The system makes millions. Mm -hmm. We got the system. We designed, we got the system we wanted. Um, uh, And, uh, um, but it's hard to convince people, you know, it's normal to not want to, you know, you sit on the couch. Um, it's normal to, you know, want another cupcake. Mm-hmm. Um uh and so and so we got the things we wanted.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Well, I you know, Josh, <laughs> this has been so awesome. And this is gonna be the first episode that I'm gonna try to. It's basically gonna be a simulcast. Uh so you're gonna be the guinea pig. So up to uh, Friends, if it, if it, uh, if it sucks, I'm going to blame it on Josh. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, this (laughs) this has been awesome. And I do hope you can join me for some of my future discussions as I learn all of these new things, like, and just to sort of give the skeptical trained eye to say like how full of bullshit I am. One of the fun things is, is that there are all these, all this part, all this stuff, there's a lot of new information being developed in terms of the human body, like almost day by day. Mara thinks I'm really crazy. My latest thing is I want to learn more about red light therapy and I've heard there's some good peer review there. So I'm like, is it, you know, you're going to be like, Oh, that's bullshit. But you know, it's going to be interesting. So hopefully we can, you know, check in on cultural politics. I love what you did with Haiti and we will post all this stuff in the show notes. Um, And hopefully people will make a donation to this really great organization, because as you know, I like to talk, but so many of us, it's just a bunch of hot air. And uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as active in politics as I used to be in part because, you know, my stoicism, am I actually impacting by talk? I like to talk. That's why I'm doing a podcast. But am I going to get angry about it when I can't influence the thing? And so like you guys saw an issue, you did it. And it's sustainable. Like it, the thing that you started is still in existence, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. still there. Yeah. And now it's even apart from you. Like that to me, because a lot of these organizations, they end up having an exhausted founder and burnout founder. And then it just sort of peters out if the person dies or just gives up or everyone abandons them. But you guys now have started something over time and you do this on top of being a farmer, you do long-distance running, too, don't you? Yep. And you're a doctor, and you're a provocateur, and you're a character, <laughs> and you're from Decora. Yes. So, I, I mean, you got all of these things, and here's the thing, you got to write, write write a book. Right. You got to write a book. Are, are you going to write a book on, like... And, then you, uh, and you're close to Ben Falk, who's really fucking cool. Yeah, um, he is cool. Yeah, I mean, and Ben has it figured out. I'm like, okay. How do I live a life where like I ski all the time and I organic farm and I do YouTube videos? But
1: you're pretty yeah. close. Like you got your own ben, how many acres you got? Uh only 10 and a half. Ben helped me set it up though and oh. uh um oh, yeah, I, I did, like buy honey from him and It's a it's a Ben Falk desired f- designed farm? Yeah, his uh, um, he when we bought oh, our my God. Property, We're going to do another podcast for yeah. sure yeah he uh uh helped with the setup and the planning okay josh okay
0: we gotta do once it starts getting you know nicer we gotta do a podcast on josh white's permaculture farm
1: well someday and, you should come out and see it
0: oh totally I, you know what actually that's it i'm gonna do an on scene you know because the other thing too is like i mara has been indulgent of my new my new hobby. And so when I do these travel and go to the cabin and shoot selfie videos, she's like, you're taking a vacation. I'm like, no, 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 it's work. So if I go out and visit you, it's going to be work-related, right. right? It's deductible. I mean, and my, well, and, my and my audience, yeah, I, I could bring, it. you're exactly, I'm stacking functions, the, the term of uh, permaculture. But, uh, so thank you so much. We're definitely going to re- uh, reconnect. And part of this grew out of my new habit of journaling. I thought, who haven't I connected with? And I thought, gosh, um, you're such an interesting person. I really appreciate you taking the time, especially after a long shift. I am going to go home uh, to decor this weekend. We're going to do some stuff with mom oh, and dad. Tell nice. us. We're, we're in that
1: long.
0: we're in that state of life where, um, you know, we're cleaning up the house and doing stuff like that. So we're we're legit middle aged men now, Josh. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you know that's your parents <laughs> a little younger. They're they're like babies in their 70s, right? How old are your parents?
1: They're in the
0: 70s, yeah. Okay, so they're still, they're oh, still yeah. youngsters. My parents are in their 80s, so uh, we're, we're at that stage. But, event, thank you so much. Seize the day. Um, learn about the Stoics. Do philosophy. Do all these different interesting things. And I can't wait to come out and visit you sometime at your permaculture Absolutely. paradise in Vermont. Thank you so much. Take care, Josh.
1: Thanks, Rod. Let's talk yep. again
0: soon. Yep, definitely. Oh, I hope you had as much fun listening to that episode as i had putting it together with dr white you can get all the book recommendations and the link to the community health initiative on com in the show notes um so wow that was a really fun episode and i'm hoping i can do future episodes with dr white on some of my latest investigations into various health related issues intermittent fasting Keto, meditation, journaling, all that good stuff to see what actually a trained doctor thinks about some of the latest sort of health diets that I'm digging into. So next episode, we're going to do an interesting, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're, we're going to investigate the streets of Iowa City, in particular, Jefferson Market Street. Greg Duncan and I are going to head out and do a little field trip and check out the, um, Virtues of a two-way two-way street. Now you guys are gonna think, oh, this is gonna be really boring, but no, this is gonna be a really, really good episode. So I'm really excited. We're gonna be joined by Greg Johnson. He's my tech guy, he's a renaissance man, he has his own various things that he's working on, and he's helped me put together the Rocket Cast. Not only that, he is gonna be one of my guests, and I'm one guest on the Rocky Cast. So stay tuned for the next, next episode on the streets of Iowa City, the next episode of the Rocket Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And once again, thank you to my brother-in-law, Corey Grimm, for this good vibe, exit music. Indigo Eyes by Corey Grimm. Until next time on The Rocket Cast.